right. <laughs> As you can see, we're already laughing because I've known this guy for, for quite some time. Um, matter of fact, we're going to get into that story of how we met because we both did not know. And then mm. we realized that it was because of somebody else right. that we met. Anywho, welcome to another episode of Take Time Out with Trey Mosley. I am your host, Trey Mosley, and today I have a young man who, you know, he's well-versed, well-traveled. Uh, I'm sure 90% of video games that you've played, he has had a hand in finding the right folks to be the voices, to fine-tune those voices and give uh, some pretty great performances, yours truly included. And... Um, we're going to find out how a lad from the Midwest was in a rock band, hence the hair, and uh, made his way to L.A. and even said, you know, USA is cool, but I'm going over the border there and now lives in Mexico. I give you Mr. Randy Ryan. Well, first of all, two things. A, thank you for calling me young. We won't talk about that. Uh, <laughs> B, 90%. That might be an exaggeration, mister. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you. Might um, I add, he's quite modest. But yeah, what, thanks for coming no, on. See, I won't even go. I won't even give you that. <laughs> no one that knows me well would say, you know, the thing I like about Randall is he's modest. Like, yeah, no. But, but thank you. <laughs> well, now, now that you mention it, I, I can believe Yeah, that. see? Exactly. <laughs> so... Again, thanks for coming on, man. Um, you know, it's like I said, it's it's crazy how, you know, people meet and they oh, connect yeah. right off the bat. And then you go, now, how exactly did we? And it's a it's a crazy story. But before before my southern's coming out, before we get started, before we get started, uh, <laughs> let's go back before you were casting folks and directing mm -hmm. folks. Um you were a musician. True. Very much so. And uh, how does one go from uh, rocking out to riding out in a chair saying, no, say <laughs> this, not this. Yeah, boy, that's that is an interesting journey. Well, A, it was never intentional. Um, when I first got off the road, when I first decided I can't keep doing this or either I'll die. Well, actually it was, I left the road to get really to get married, even though I wasn't married at the time. It's like, if I'm going to marry this girl, first thing I have to do is I have to stop doing this. And this is not achieving what I was hoping it would achieve. So it was not that difficult of a decision, but what had to happen, of course, is well, I had to find a different line of work. And so when the company was started, it was originally going to be to create just continuing the same thing, doing music, doing mostly things like jingle packages and background and, and, and film scoring and background sound and all the stuff that you would think, well, if I'm not going to do, you know, original songs, I'm going mm. to write original music doing something else. And that's, that's what seemed to be the case. Yeah. The problem was that the field was a lot more competitive than I expected it to be. And while the music jobs could pay very well, it could be a long dry spell in between projects, especially if you're kind of the new person on the block and a lot of the players are already established. So started doing voiceover literally for cash flow. Mm. Like if, if people come and 
start using us for VO, of which there were a lot more jobs, then maybe they'll come back for the music, which turned out to be absolutely erroneous because people put you in, it turned out that people put you in silos. They, they hired you for music. They would never think about you for voice. If they hired you for voice, they'd never think about you for music. It's just, yeah. just the way it went. But along the way, I realized that this was something, and I'm really shortening the story because um, it was years that I could actually direct. Um, I didn't think I could when I started it because I had no acting background. It was just not, you know, how am I qualified to do this? Mm -hmm. And it was literally years of watching other people. Not, I mean, of course I did learn some from them, but a lot of it was kind of figuring out that I was hearing things that they weren't. And over time, even, even add on more years, I realized that it's because I hear it as music and it's the musicality of it and yeah. the understanding of all those things like tempo and rhythm and tonality and, you know, and even amplitude and pitch and cadence, go, cadence, you know, yeah. um, all of that. Um, and even to some degree, because I was always an arranger and a producer musically as well, that that's part of it too. Um, so that's how that journey happened. And just over a long enough period of time, I stopped even chasing the music stuff and just went completely into doing VO. So that even though that was a long story, trust me, it's a short version. I can, I can imagine. So with that, you fully immerse yourself into uh, the VO world. Yep. Um, did you miss music at all? Did you miss being out there? Um, it's a hard question to answer. I, I mean, if you woke me up out of a dead sleep and asked me what I am, you're like, you know, tell me what you are or I'll kill you. I'm The first thing that's going to matter is I'm a musician. Um, and I still have to write and to play. That's like my lifeblood. You know, I have a keyboard sitting here. I have a keyboard sitting, you know, I've always got something close by. I've got, you know, I've got 10 whistles. I got, I've got guitars <laughs> over there. I've got, you know, other instruments there. When, you, when I go to my, this, I'm in Los Angeles now, but when I go to my home in Mexico, it's the same thing. It's like, I've, I've just got stuff because I have to. And, uh, and all my writing is in the cloud so that if I'm working on something here and I go there, uh, I just pull it back up and I just keep doing it. Um, so I, I don't miss it because I'm still doing it. Cause I'm still in. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's really interesting. A, a friend, I think a friend of yours too, a friend of mine, Jason Charles Miller is, uh, out on the road touring right now. I think he actually just finished it. And Jason and I are of kind of the same era and we're on the road with, you know, we know a lot of the same people. And it's just interesting because there's a part of me that watches him go out there like, God, I could still do that. And there's <laughs> a part of me that, that that's followed up quickly. Like I'm like, by but I would die <laughs> um, or I would at least ruin everything else I'm doing. Um, so it's never been a, you know, there's always the romanticism of what, of something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but at no point have I ever seriously considered like I would go out and start gigging again. It's great for me that when I get a chance to gig, I'll show up somewhere and if people know me, I mean, I, I, the way I gig now most of the time is, Literally, somebody asks me up on stage, and I just go do it. Um, and it happens less and less just as time goes on. Uh, when I was living in Austin, where I lived for almost 15 years, now that was different. I was playing all the well, time. That's a music city, so. Yeah, right, yeah. right. 
But uh, once I left Austin, all that really kind of trailed off. It still happens occasionally, but it's just it's pretty infrequent now. Not I'm okay curious, what 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 keyboard do you have over there? This one is a Yamaha S30. Is it an S30 or an S80? No, it's not an S30. That's what's back in. Uh, oh, it's a Mod X8. I don't remember. It's a Mod I X8. A, I, I got a <laughs> Juno DS88 to my right over ah, here. Ah, nice. Yeah, um, I used to be in music uh, years and years ago as part of a five-member R&B group. Believe nice. it or not. And um, you know, I was never quite an arranger. I, I I had a pretty good ear, but if you put a sheet of music in front of me and that same guy who had the gun to your head puts it to my head, I probably would not be talking to you. <laughs> but I could hear. Oh no, this is your part. Yeah, you're. No, that's not you. Come up. Your pitch is off. I always had that kind of ear. Yeah. Um, even when I sang in the choir, when it was time to do sight reading, I would just kind of mm, let me hide behind this person because I knew it would be my turn to read and I could not read. Yeah. Uh, me and music theory, we are not friends. Um, so you get out to the mean streets of L.A. and yep. you're starting how soon did you start to make a name for yourself as, hey, you know, remember that guy, Randy, who was in the such and such band? Well, now he's doing voiceover. And like, how was how was it a seamless transition? Uh, I nothing. Well, I guess the, the super short answer is no. Um, I kept playing for even after I got off the road, I kept playing for quite a while. Um, startups are hard. You know, oh, yeah. it's just um, my story isn't any different than the vast majority of people out there. Uh, I struggled for a long time. Um, if it hadn't been for some extra music gigs, some side projects, uh, family loans. Oh, yeah. I mean, just all that kind of stuff. Um, I There's just no way. I mean, the first the first year especially was um, just brutal. And, um, but the thing that turned the company around, which is completely separate in essence from moving from, um, from music to voice is, um, the question came up and this would be like 1996, uh, six or seven, I think 96, but doesn't matter. Um, mid to late nineties. And, uh, the internet was really starting to become a thing, but it was still not, you know, it wasn't like everybody had internet access. Yeah. Uh, but it was really starting to take off. And the question was posed, why is there no audio on the internet and why are we not doing it? Mm. And so the answer I said, I don't know. And I don't know. So being poor and struggling and a lot of time on my hand, I, and, but also knowing how to build computers uh, and not being afraid of tech, I went out and started trying to figure out how do we put audio on the internet? with what you could do at the time, which like 28.8 modems, 14.4 modems, you know, occasionally like somebody had a 56 baud modem, like, Ooh, man, you was doing good. You had 56. Oh, absolutely. Cause that was expensive. You had a 128, like you're rich, aren't you? Well, yeah, that that, that 128 was ISDN. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was stupidly expensive. Um, So you had to figure out how to squeeze audio through these little things, which to me meant MIDI. But if you're going to do MIDI, then there were no standards. So, you know, it's not uh, a MIDI guitar sounds like this. I mean, it, technically it's still not, but but because all this audio is being pushed across on these sound cards. So what I did is I just built um, 
shells of computers with mm -hmm. like cheap sound card or, or cheap video cards, you know, 286 processors. It didn't have oh, to be whatever wow. I could get. Well, whatever I get that was cheap because I didn't care. I wasn't yeah. actually using it as a computer. All I wanted to do was test audio. And so then I, well, the only difference between the computers was what the sound card was in it. So at the time that mm -hmm. was get a sound blaster, get a Turtle Beach card, get, I don't even remember the names of all of them. The old Geoforce cards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you just put them all in and then you create something and you plug it into each different sound card to see what does it sound like. And you had to have a video card or it wouldn't, wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't work exactly. at the time. So it, again, it was just the cheapest stuff I could find. The only thing that I didn't want to skimp on were the sound cards. And because uh, that was the whole thing. So after that, it was starting to compose. The composing didn't change, but what sounds you chose would change based on how they sounded on individual cards. And then if there's something you really wanted to do, could I create my own sample banks that would be small enough to squeeze through and trigger the samples off of there? Mm -hmm. um, and that was what I that was what we did. And we rebranded the company as Internet Sound, which is this all predates Hamster Ball. And again, being young and stupid and broke, <laughs> I got in my car and went to, you know, wonderful places like Detroit, where all the auto manufacturers were and all the agencies that surrounded them were. And yeah. just came in and said, hey, I've mastered this thing um, and got work. And suddenly we were doing stuff for Ford through J. Walter Thompson. We were doing stuff for Chrysler through Ross Roy. We were, you know, wow. because the internet was so new and there mm -hmm. were so few players that all of a sudden we got all these campaigns. Um, and I'm too young and stupid to know that you can't do that, right? You know, you can't go in there and get this stuff. It's like, why not? Um, that's what really changed the company. And um, and so that's all really sound design and music too, because there's no voice being pushed with that. So the voiceover yeah. thing kind of came up at the same time through broadcast advertising while this was going on in the interactive world. Mm -hmm. um, and then the real turn was uh, my brother trying to get me to start uh, composing for video games because he was a big gamer and he saw most of the things out there, you know, stank and that I could do a better job. And that's how I got into video games was just by kind of the same thing, going to solicit video game companies. And that's a whole different story of how things happened. Mm -hmm. uh, but then over time, that that's what really turned into the voiceover over music were the video game side of things. Told you it was a long story. <laughs> we got plenty of time. That is, um, you know, it's it's interesting to me how much music and voiceover intersect. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I coach very sparingly, but but when I do, I've noticed and, and maybe you can uh, give your insight. Usually folks that uh, and, and people do well in VO, period. But from from what I've gathered, just from my personal experience, musicians and singers, mm -hmm. they pick it up a little quicker. Uh, because they understand, uh, like we, like you, you touched on earlier, cadence, tempo, pitch, tone, um, and it, they're easier to direct. Yeah, because they're taking something that they've learned in the choir, or that they learned in the orchestra, or that they learned mm -hmm. in the band. Like, oh, so I'm just doing the same thing, but instead of singing the part, I'm mm -hmm. now speaking the part. Yep, a hundred percent agree. Um, I think there's something in the wiring that that just 
this is it's something in the wiring of the fact that it's an audio only medium because mm -hmm. this isn't necessarily i'm not saying that people who sing aren't maybe better theater actors or film actors or whatever but it is far less of a differentiating factor than it is in voice acting and i think that part of that is because of the wiring of it is you so have to listen in a way in a in a way that you don't necessarily listen in the other mediums again i'm not saying that you aren't listening in other mediums i'm just saying that the, the what you're listening on you're listening to the other actor you're listening for the situation uh you're you're, you're but you're also using your body and your face and mm -hmm. you know, there's all this stuff and once you strip it down to audio only that's just that's not a place that a lot of people necessarily come from and so what you find with a lot of people is that they they read and even and they learn a read or a couple of sets of reads and it's almost um ooh, there's my high point i i get booked when i do this 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 and this mm -hmm. um so i'm going to keep doing that and then there's almost a rut that develops and it, it is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy well i'm getting booked doing this but then that's all you do so that's the only thing you get booked for so it almost like for some people I think it almost shuts down looking at the pot at the wider possibilities of what they might be able to do. Um, maybe they're not getting booked because they found that thing. That thing booked them a few a few projects, but the feedback loop is, oh, when I talk like this, I get gigs. So I'm going to talk like that, which is very different than a voice actor who comes in, especially doing character development, where there is no talk like this because the roles that you're gonna get are completely different. The situations mm -hmm. you're gonna get are completely different. Um, this is not 60 seconds of selling a product. This is something totally, totally different. And the only way that you're gonna survive in that, or I should say the majority of the way you're gonna survive in that is by having that ability not only to listen, but to translate which is really not much different than getting up on stage and improving. Now with, when you're in the booth and you have your actor, cause very rare we do ensemble cast anyway. So right. when you have that one person mm -hmm. in the booth and, and one thing I've, I've, I've heard from talking with people and, and in particular to you, he's like, you know, you always you're very relatable. Some booth directors uh, and and casting directors they tend to I don't want to say they're abrasive, mm -hmm. but you have a, a a style that you can think of a scenario in your head mm -hmm. and tell the person, okay, let's say you're in Paris and the sun <laughs> just came up and it's beautiful. And you get up and yawn. How would you do that yawn? And then the person would yawn. Now give me that in that read. Like you, yeah. you have that thing. You, you helped me with something when we were doing Cobra Kai, and um, you know, I, I remember it. And I'm like, damn, that was pretty good direction. Now, so I, I ask, it's a, a chicken or the egg question. Mm -hmm. um, does the actor make the director's job easier, or mm -hmm. can the director make the actor's job easier? Well, I don't think that I don't think that's a, a single answerable question, honestly. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was just well, I was just Gillian Brashear, who works with me a lot. Um, she and I were talking yesterday about almost that exact subject. 
Wow. Um, and the phrase that she used that I thought was really good was there are just some times that the actor is the actor and the character come together and it's just magic. It's like, it's the perfect casting for that. There's something about the character that the actor just gets mm-hmm. and they absorb it. And it's almost like, you know, they become soul matched and they become bound and you can't separate them. And that doesn't mean that the character is, is, it is the actor's real personality. It just means there's something about the way they mesh that it just yeah. works. Um, in that case, your director, your job as a director, unless you make it hard, should be really easy because <laughs> get yeah. out of the way, let them do what they do, you know, light guardrails. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. Um, you know, I, I think that, well, first of all, not everybody, I have the, um, I get to be part of the casting process most of the time. And that doesn't mean that I'm always making the final decisions, yeah. but I get to be part of that process. So, and a lot of directors don't, you show up, it's a briefcase gig. Uh, you walk in, the actors are already there. You didn't have anything to do with them. It's just your job to work with them. Um, casting to me is where that, if you cast well, that's where that really happens. And that's, that's the place where you, remove the vast majority of any potential friction or any potential, uh, I got to work with this actor a lot more, or the actor's got to come to, to the director and say, yeah, I hear what you're going for, but let me, you know, they'd have to turn around and explain to you what they're going for, which would be kind of your actor making the director better. Um, if the casting is done really well, a lot of those problems take care of themselves. They just, um, and I think people sometimes give a short shrift to, to casting. I'm sure every, nobody out there is listening going, yeah, I do. Everybody thinks they don't. Yeah. But the reality is it's not about, for starters, it is not about the quality of the voice. That, that to me, I'm fond of saying that comes from commercial. I don't know that it all comes from commercial, but there's a lot of that that for so long was how people were deciding who to cast. Oh, she's got this great smoky voice. We should got we got to hire her. Ooh, he's got the voice of God. We have to hire him. Well, yeah, but, but when you start doing true acting, you know, we've all seen the people with great set of pipes who can't act their way out of paper bag. Oh yeah. I would rather have somebody with a nondescript voice who really knows how to act and knows how to use what it is that they have rather than somebody that comes to the table with like, Ooh, that's interesting. It's great. It's again, it's great when it all works that way. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, so the first place is casting and why are you casting this person? What is it that they are doing that makes you say they need to be the ones doing this role? And that's a lot harder. I think than most people realize that's why you see people do cattle calls and again, I know that there are exceptions to this, but it's almost a, if we throw everything against the wall, then somebody's going to mystically show up and be the thing. Yeah. And the reality, there are two things that happen with that. One, first of all, you get massive ear fatigue. I don't care how long the time you have to do it. I don't care how many people you've got to help you. If you've got to listen to a thousand auditions collectively, however, you are not good. That is a crap way to, to audition. Yeah. It's a crap way to cast. Um, so how do you narrow those people down? 
That was well, my next question. Yeah. How, how would you do that? If you got 500 folks that are all trying to be in Baldur's Gate or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's up to you and, and maybe Gillian and maybe a third person, but they're all mm-hmm. looking at you like, all right, Randy, who do you like? Mm-hmm. And you may hear someone that has a great voice, but then he's a horrible ogre mm-hmm. or a young lady who may not have a lot of experience, but like, it's something about the way she said, you know, I will save you or something. Or he's like, sure. let's give her a shot. Like, you know, yeah. how do you, how do you get that Rubik's cube to make a puzzle? Well, I can't answer that for everybody. For me, uh, a lot of it is, first of all, I will, I won't do 500 people. Uh, not, I mean, I, I will, if, if, you know, so Baldur's Gate would be, you know, I didn't work on Baldur's Gate, but that would be an exception because you have so many roles to cast. Of course, you're going to go through like way more than 500 auditions, sure. but not, but not for a character. That's the thing. Um, and even if you're trying to cast NPCs and you cast a wide net, um, I, I don't know how they went through it and did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I think with what helps that is along the way, part of the work that you have to do is you have to get to know your actors. You know, I had dinner with someone last night that I booked, um, that I've worked with. Um, I just never really gotten to know her. Um, it's, you know, it just came up as like, let's do it. I mean, you do those, it's, it's networking. You, you, you get, you share airspace with actors. You talk with them a lot. You ask them questions. You send them auditions, even for things you're like, I'm not sure if they're right for this, not because you're trying to throw them, but because, so let's take you for instance. Um, mm-hmm. Sure. There are things that I can truly see like, oh, that's totally in Trey's wheelhouse. But what if it's something like, um, I'll take something that I don't know. Um, you know, what if this guy could, you know, what if he's a really, this is a character that needs to be extraordinarily sensitive in like, um, like overly sensitive and they get triggered by uh, a lot of things and they'll cry at the drop of a hat or they'll lash out at somebody, which is totally not your personality. But, but how do you do that character? I don't know. I might give that to you Mm -hmm. to see what you do with it. And there's no penalty if you don't do it well, because not everybody does Nobody does everything well. Yeah. But that's work over time, right? Like, Mm -hmm. how do you do that? How do you not just go to just the people that they they present your demos? A good demo can't show everything that you can possibly do. Nothing can. And if you try to do that, then it's just noise and nobody has any idea what you do. Yeah. Um, So there are always holes. Um, I remember years ago there was a trend in again, mostly in commercial and it became a really thing for a while. Don't try to be too many things, find one thing you do and you do well and do nothing but that. Mm -hmm. And that to me, I understand why that became a thing, but that to me is not the way that's like being uh, a musician. If we take it back to that, and the only thing I'm going to do is play three chord rock. Now, if that's what you're writing, so if you're ACDC and that's what you're writing, great. But yeah. you know what? If I'll bet Angus Young did not go home and say, I'm just going to listen to other three chord rock bands. <laughs> and that's the only thing I'm going to do. He went yeah. and he listened to, and I don't know this, but he listened to jazz and he listened to country and he listened to whatever. And you, and you work on things because that's how you expand what you do. And I don't think it's any different with work. Mm-hmm. Um, go after those roles that stretch you a little bit. And if, and if you don't get them, don't worry about it because the auditions for them help. Listen to what other people do. Take training in genres that you're not in, you know, all of that. Um, 
And that's what it is a director you have to do too. You have to get to know your actors and not pigeonhole them for what they can do, but try to figure out all the little holes. It's work. It is, it is hard work. It's something you do every week. Um, you're looking for new actors. You're trying to figure out something about your, the actors that exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're even calling your database sometimes. Like, you know, this is somebody that hasn't booked for uh, five or six years. Is it because they're just not getting the gigs? Well, then that you just leave them alone. It's like, it happens. Or is it like, man, every time I get something from them, it's just like, no way. Um, that person could work for something else. They don't work for what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, it's all of that. It's that's the best answer I can give is that you you can't take a project and just expect that you're going to hear a bunch of voices and it's going to magically cast itself. You got to know something about the, uh, at least a percentage of the people before you even start or or it's just it's forest in the trees. Yeah, I don't see how you get through. <laughs> yeah. So what happens when it's not magic, but you have to find a way to conjure it up? So let's say. You hear a guy or girl's uh, audition and they sound great. And you're mm-hmm. like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. You know what? I think this is the guy or girl. Mm-hmm. And you, you get him in the studio and like, okay, here's the full script now. Yeah, yeah, right. Of course. And the train is like this at first. And as soon as they speak, it's like, and crash. How do you get that person back on the rails? Or can you get that person back on the rails? Or is it just like, you know, hey, thanks for coming out. We got to find somebody else. Well, the last thing rarely happens. Um, it's not that it hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the snide person in me, my first answer is like, hey, Gillian, what are you doing? Can you get in here? I got a job for you. <laughs> 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 no, that's not, and that's not true either. Um, it, it does happen, but I guess it's, I think it's back to casting. It's rare mm-hmm. uh, because we try to do a really good job with casting and just because somebody's audition is good if it's somebody you're not familiar with then there's immediately there's like an antenna that goes up like we have to vet this person more start really grilling them on their home studio maybe do a callback audition give them something different just to see but it also depends on the size of the role if this is somebody that they really seem to be pretty interesting and they're going to have 50 lines i don't know how much you got to vet them on that i mean if it's an important role that's only 50 lines, then sure. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to recast. That's um, if you have to, you have to. But that that I got to be honest for is pretty rare. And I think that that probably is because of casting. Um, but there are there are all kinds of ways. Um, you know, it's identifying the problem is the problem because, you know, the actor is nervous. Um, you know, which does happen. It's, it happens to all of us. You get, you get that gig that like, oh my gosh, this could completely change my career. And, and even though you've got, you know, 500 jobs under your belt, mm-hmm. that one almost makes you feel like the first time you're, you're behind a mic again. Yeah. Um, some people cope with that really well. They have good relaxation techniques. They, they, um, they've got a system. Um, some people, it freaks them out and, so uh, it's, it's interesting. Again, this came up with Gillian yesterday. I don't even know how this stuff came up yesterday, but it did. We should have uh, brought her on too. Well, we can do that. <laughs> we'll bring her uh, back next time. Um, but 
you know, how she talked about how there have been several people that she's for the first 10 minutes. It's whether they're actually recording or not. It's like, we're not even recording now. Um, we're just going to talk and we're going to get into the character and I want you to, and let's just run some lines. I want you to come back with me and let's just see how I see if I'm helping you and just mm -hmm. really turns it around to get them out of their head, to get them into that character kind of, mode. Yeah. um, you know, I, I think that my techniques are a little bit different, but it's ultimately the same thing. It's getting the people to just remember, look, you've been cast for this. You did something to get here. Um, cool we got time you know we always overbook you know it's we think this will take 30 minutes we'll book 60 you will think this will take an hour we'll book two you know whatever so um you know just chill a bit and that helps for a lot of things if it's something where somebody really just doesn't have the ear to really hear what's going on um that's all that's actually a lot trickier um, I don't know that I have a single good thing. I really, really, really try hard never to line read and not just because, you know, line reading bad, um, but more because I don't want to put my stamp. I want the actor to, to bring what they bring. And that's really important. Um, because if it's always, one of the problems I have with, with people who tend to line read, and, and obviously there are, there are directors I know who are really good who will occasionally default to line reading. So I'm not saying those situations, but I think yeah. somebody who, who comes, when, when a director comes in with a complete vision in their head of what that character is supposed to be, mm -hmm. um, there's probably somebody out there who will completely disagree with this. So freely say this is my opinion. I think that's a mistake because... Um, you, when things really work, there's a symbiosis between all the people, the writers, the devs, but certainly the director and the actor. Yeah. And my job is not to tell them what to do. <clears throat> I do not believe that that is my job. My job is to give them the canvas on which to paint. Sometimes I have to remind them like, no, 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 it's watercolors. You know, we're not using oils here. Sometimes it's your canvas is only this big. Sometimes it's your canvas is this big, you know, whatever it is. We're focusing on sky, not on the earth. I don't actually care what the earth looks like, you know, because this is stars. Um, and while all that sounds esoteric, in a sense, that's exactly what the thought process is. Yeah. You know, get you to think of what it is that you're doing and and take your training as an actor and just and just do that. Um, and most of the time, you, people just get there. And yeah, those few times when they don't, you start trying all kinds of other things. Um, it's also understanding the importance. So I've watched people who get hung up on a line that they just think is this thing. And really it's, man, this line is, it's, you know what? That's not the greatest performance ever of that line. We got 300 lines to go. And that one's not that, this does not rise to the level of doing yeah. the take. Take the meh take and move on. Um, you know, that's part of it is that not everything has to be brilliant. And I don't mean to sound to say that to say, you know, uh, it's close enough for rock and roll. And that's, you know, like that's how you direct. It's, it's not. But there are things there are some things that are that are massively important and they really have to be exactly right. And the whole thing has to has to mesh. And there are some things that are throwaway. They're NPC lines. They're 
greetings. They're whatever. Don't don't belabor them too much. Yeah, that's not the greatest read, but we got some we can use. Just move on. Um, and that has to do with the understanding of time, the understanding of budget. Um, you know, I love the companies like Blizzard that have the budget, the time, the you know, that just the whole thing scoped out to where you know they can run twenty five lines an hour. There's a yeah. reason that they get really, really good stuff. And obviously, you know, Andrea is a great director and she hires some great directors. Um, but that's one of the things that really, you want to belabor that one line, you can do it. You know, most games do not have that. Um, you don't. Um, you got, you mentioned Cobra Kai. You're in there for, I'll say it was a three hour session. I don't remember. And you got three characters to do. And, you know, and one of them's got 200 lines. The others don't have as many, but I mean, that's a lot of stuff to do. And you got to be able to change up what you're doing and who you're doing. And this character's a little bit different than that one. And sometimes when it comes down to, you know, um, hey, look, it's the dojo folks. It's like, yeah, it's good enough. Move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's just it is. Hey, it's look, okay. it's Miyagi Do. Right, exactly. It's yeah. like, does that? Do, 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 can you give me a little more on the dough? Like, no. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because I, I played a I played a main character, and then I had three NPCs. Um, and it's it's interesting to go from being and and by the way, and I think I told you during the session that was my. Other than Madden, that was my first mm-hmm. video game as a character and not just a voice in the game. So mm-hmm. when you were talking about folks that are nervous, I'm sitting here like, because mm. <laughs> when we took our first break, I was in there sweating bullets like, oh, I hope I'm not sucking. Oh, boy. I was just nervous as hell. Um, I remember that because what did I say to you when I got to the break room? Uh, what did you say? I mean, I don't know the exact thing that I said, but I can tell you the, the gist of it. Yeah. Which is what's like, Trey, you're doing great. This is good. We're, we're, we're golden. You know, something like that, which was true. Yeah. But I could also tell you needed to hear it. I, there I you did. go. And then, <laughs> I, I and, did. And, and you know what? From that point forward, you were, I mean, oh, no, were, he, no, he was rocking and rolling. Yeah. Uh, even, even down to the efforts. I, and that was mm-hmm. fun for me because, being a gamer and playing games and you hear yeah. guys punch and, mm, and I'm like, I, I get to do that. Like, yeah, you actually got powers, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I don't play it as much, but I do play it every now and then. And, um, I remember walking around the house one day, I was just like colossal stump. She's like, what are you saying? <laughs> I said, it's from the game. I'm, I was playing the game and I was playing as my character. So I'm just, I see the cat. I'm like colossal stump. And he's like, Ram? like, I don't get it. So that, that was a fun time. Um, let's, let's move on to this. So do you recall that one project that you said, yeah, this is probably going to be where I'm going to plant my flag for the next however long I'm, I'm doing this thing. Like, what was that one that? Mm. Wow. Um, I don't know that it happened. I got to be honest. I don't know that it happened like that. So I guess if I were going to answer that question, it's more like, what was the first thing that I did that I really went like, wow, this is this is a thing or, or I'm really... 
Um, boy, I, the, I, I don't know that this is the answer, but I give you one that I definitely felt that way with. And it was a game. Actually, this was, well, see, this is a voiceover question and this is a music answer. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, railroad tycoon, railroad tycoon three. Um, wow. I remember that, that. That was, um, so part of why was because they came to me. Um, I don't remember how they found me. It was like through people I'd worked with before or something, but, uh, and this is all music. And I did some sound design, but the vast majority of what I did for that game was music. And they came to me and they had actually, it's hard to believe that this was the case, but they had actually taken some it, it, true bluegrass tunes and went to use them thinking like they could just throw them in. Like they pulled it, lifted them off CDs or whatever. Yeah. And, and Bill Monroe's people got wind of this somehow and said, um, yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> and, and so it wasn't just that they had all this stuff that they couldn't do. It was also like the, the biggest thing was they had this opening cinematic that was beautiful. And if you look at it now, it looks very dated, but at the time it was like, it's this beautiful cinematic. And mm -hmm. they, they had done this to this song. The thing that was interesting is that the song didn't make any sense with the video. It was just a really nice, interesting bluegrass tune, but they had done all the timings, everything yeah. being bluegrass, you know, nobody's on a metronome, you know, it's, it's floaty and just doing what uh, you feel and just doing what you feel. Right. Exactly. And so they're like, well, we need to write a new tune for this. <laughs> Wow. And, and the animation was done. Like, like we're not moving the animation. And so I wrote a tune that I still look back and just, and just really love um, just as a song and did all that. But now it also made sense with the video. I told mm -hmm. the story of what was going to happen to this little kid who was growing up and became a railroad type. He was basically a poor kid and, made up the whole story. His parents died. His aunt took him in. They moved him to Tennessee. They lived by a railroad track and you know, all this stuff that had nothing to do actually with the game, but yeah. fit with this cinematic that they had. Um, but I will say that for games, that one, that was really when like, I'm, I'm pretty much stopping doing advertising. That's what that one did for me is that really made me look at games and go, you know, yeah, because the creative freedom they gave me, the lack of people looking over my shoulder, yes. uh, it was almost like tossing it over the fence and saying, I don't know what you got to do, but make it right. And for me, for my personality, that worked really well. That was great. Like, just do what you do. And yeah. I did. And I tossed it back over the fence. They're like, this is amazing. Here's money. <laughs> like, do more. Uh, Get paid. More. Right. And it was like, I th that really was the changing where I I didn't stop doing advertising at that point, but boy, did it, it was like, then all of a sudden advertising gigs, like I wouldn't take them. I'm going to go after gaming gigs, man, VO. Um, there were so many things along the way that were just really, really good. Um, there was a, I, a game called Barbie horse adventures, which probably nobody out there even knows. Right. But it, <laughs> but it was this game that wasn't supposed to be that big of a deal. It's mm -hmm. Mattel. They're using the licenses done through Activision. Um, it was a lovely little game and we had all these characters and all this character development and just was able to weave this whole world. And again, largely I was kind of left alone to do what I do. Mm -hmm. And when I got done, you know, I, I don't necessarily play games that I worked on. I played that game. I played it for a while. Cause it's like, this is, 
I want to be Barbie. I'm getting on. I'm getting on the damn horse, and I'm riding that next area because that's a cool place to go. And the story, wow. I, and you already know the story, but yet unfolding the story mm-hmm. was still. It's like a movie you've seen, right? But you watch it again because it's such a cool story. Yeah, and it was, and that was. It's basically an. It's basically a Barbie RPG, you know. Really? Yeah. Huh. And. Uh, you know, casting for World of Warcraft, um, that was lovely. Um, just um, working on that and working on main characters. Um, That's a massive, massive game, oh, even to this day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I saw something a few days ago that like the second most. I'm not going to remember the numbers. Uh, I'm making them up uh, like. 500 million people have played World of Warcraft. It's, and it may be bigger than that, but I'm, I'm literally pulling numbers out of the air. And like the second most played MMO was sitting at something like 185 million or something like that. I mean, it's just, and, and again, my numbers are probably wrong because there are yeah. people who are like, you know, at Blizzard, like, that's way higher than that. Whatever. I'm just saying it's like, it's that kind of a gulf between one and two. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's that's the only game I ever uninstalled because I had to uninstall it or it was going to suck out suck up my life. And that was before I was even working on it at all. I uh, so I was a big WoW guy in the in the early two thousands, mm-hmm. and um, I had to quit Cold Turkey one because my then girlfriend was like, "It's been yep. six hours." I'm like, "Look." Um, it's level up weekend. They are doubling <laughs> XP. You I don't know. understand. And uh, I got to a point. I'm like, I, I gotta hop off this. I, you know, there's a, mm-hmm. a joke that uh, me and Danielle quoting the movie um, was love got to do with it. When mm-hmm. I turn is trying to get Tina back, he's like, nah, 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 nah. Anime, I'm off that narcotic. And I'm like, I had to get off that narcotic known as mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. Because it was, it, it's, it's addictive. That was exactly uh, what that was that cold turkey. That is exactly what happened to me. It was like in a in a small brief moment of sanity. I act. I didn't just close my account. I hit uninstall. It's like it's like I, I, I have, have to. to. Yeah, that was it. And it's like and I have to and I got to do it. And it's just done. And shed a tear as it like goes down the digital drain. But it's like but I knew I had to, <laughs> you know. And yeah. Um, it- Set that's the only to, game. I've, to, that's the uh, only game I've ever, that's ever happened to me with. The only game that's ever happened to me with. Now, speaking of that, being that you, uh, you know, you're composing for games, you're casting for games, you're directing games. Do you play? Like, what are some games yeah. that you know you can set aside thirty minutes an hour and say, "All right, I'm going to play what." Um, uh, well, it depends, uh, on whether I'm doing it because I want to do it or whether I'm doing it because it's something that I feel I should, uh, either for research, like I should know something about this game. Like I haven't started it yet, but like I have to play Baldur's Gate. I mean, I just do. It's too big. It's too, uh, I look, I know you probably do too, cause half the world worked on it, but I know so many people that actually are in the game and worked on it. Yeah. Um, so but that's and that may be a game that sucks me in. Um, in some ways, I hope it is. But it's still easy for me to walk away from those because I'm not doing it because I just really, really want to do it. 
uh, Red Dead Redemption 2, I just did that with recently because, like, I need to know this game. And um, and it was pretty obvious, you know, like, watching how the VO worked especially and how and just all the dialogue in there in the innocuous spot parts and uh, just really well done. But I could walk away from it. Yeah. Um, so the things I tend to play that I'm going to actually just go do, um, not counting cheap mobile games, um, but some, which I almost don't consider games. I consider them distractions. Um, um, Hearthstone, I still will play. Um, and part of the reason Hearthstone stays on there is because I can literally wander in and wander out. I cannot play for, for six months. It's almost like Parcheesi, right? It's on, it's on the shelf. You know, people come over. It's like, well, yeah. you play Parcheesi. You're like, cool. You know, it's like you pick up where you left off, even though, the first thing you have to do is update because you haven't been on for a while. But but that's an easy yeah. one for me to get in and go play. Uh, XCOM is another one that I really just keep kind of gravitating oh. back to. I've always really okay. liked XCOM. Uh, I like strategy and role-playing games more than I do, say, shooters. You know, and sometimes things cross a lot, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there's a reason I played that WoW was as addictive as it was because um, that kind of – so Elder Scrolls, you know – which is why Baldur's Gate probably will be something that I will really like. Uh, anything that becomes very open world and story driven. Um, that's the kind of stuff that I, that I really, really like. Subnautica was another one that I played recently that I put a lot of time into um, that I really liked a lot. Um, so I think that's generally my default. Uh, Hearthstone's not really story driven, but you know what's funny is that the things that it's not the actual playing of the just the card game of Hearthstone. It's the single mission players, it's the mercenaries, it's the mm -hmm. stuff that even though there's not a ton of story in it, there's enough story that that's more interesting to me than leveling up as just a a card player. I'm a big side mission guy. Yeah, right. Um, like right now, uh, I've been playing Starfield, and uh, it is. It is a massive, massive game. Mm -hmm. And I've probably done maybe 25% of the main mission because mm -hmm. some of the side missions are just so... It, so Starfield reminds me a lot. There was a show that, that used to come on called The Expanse. Oh, yeah. I love The Expanse. And it's like someone took The Expanse and you know, took little pieces and bits of it and mm -hmm. said, okay, if, if this is, so the expanse is one universe, Starfield would be another universe, but it's, there's so many similarities in it, the yeah. different factions and, and you have the folks that are kind of higher tier and you got the, the grunts. Mm -hmm. And, um, and when I play, you know, and I get these missions where you have a guy said, well, look, you know, it'll be worth your while if you go take care of this thing for me, you know, on planet so-and-so mm -hmm. and you got the gravity jump in 28 light years to get to it and stuff. And in three hours, I literally remember the day it came out mm -hmm. and I'm like, I played for about 30 minutes just to get a feel of it, create my character and all that. Four hours later, yeah, oh, I, know. Right. I was like, oh, damn. Yeah, I, I actually <laughs> have work to go do. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, it some certain games will suck you in. I still play GTA five. Yeah. You know, I've beaten it numerous times, but 
Mm. I'll go on the on the online world um, mm-hmm. when you're playing online against everybody, and I'll go in spectator mode and just watch, you know, mm-hmm. folks playing. And, and every now and then I'll, I'll play, and I like to come in right when they're doing like a, a heist, and then I'll come in, knock off a few of that guys, and then take their money, and then I'll, I'll log off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's just my thing. Well, let uh, me ask you something. Let me ask you yes, something. Sir. So what would you, what, what do you look at and say, if I could do that? And when I say that, not necessarily an existing character, you're obviously you're going to use an existing character's muse. But if I could do something like that role, that would be the thing I would just, that, that's it. That's my pinnacle. Um, is, does that even exist? Voice actors get asked that question a lot, uh, and it's it's asked in in many different ways. What's your dream gig? If you could yeah, right. be uh, a signature character, um, I have an answer for animation, mm-hmm. for games. Um, I would love to be in COD mm-hmm. as a as a main character in COD, mm-hmm. and. Whenever GTA Six comes out, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that would also probably not even probably I, I can say without a doubt that uh, yeah, Call of Duty as a as a some type of military mm-hmm. badass uh, operator as they call them, mm-hmm. or or some character in in uh in in GTA, you know, mm-hmm. both the series I've grown up with and. One thing that voiceover, I have a lot of aha moments or or moments in VO, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a kid that played Madden that is now in Madden and has been in yeah. the previous in the, you know, previous four iterations of the game. I was just playing before, you know, we did this interview and my wife was heading downstairs and I do like the intro, you know, it's it's the Las Vegas Raiders versus the Kansas City. She's like, that's you. I'm like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> it never gets old, man. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't take what we do for a living for granted because there are a lot of folks and I mean a lot of folks that want to do this. Yeah. Uh, but but to short answer definitely cod or some type of military Mm -hmm. um game where i can be in charge of folks or or be that that one dude that you know maybe he's he's a little off the rails but he gets Mm -hmm. the job done Mm -hmm. uh and and then yeah gta would would uh would be the the cherries of all cherries that hey guess i play that guy in gta 6 um back to music because I noticed you have a very cool banjo. Banjo, left-handed banjo, by the way. Because that's ah, how I I'm left-handed too. See, there you go. There you go. Now, I I'm pretty good with instruments, and I mm-hmm. and I may be wrong on the on the other one. Is that a mandolin? Mm-hmm. Ah, I okay. I feel good now. I am it smart is. again. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, you were always smart. You just, you, it's like, yeah, yeah. Because I, I've I've um. Guitars over there. They used to be on the wall, but it's like, yeah, these are more interesting to put on the wall. That's why they're there. It does look cool. And, and the and the, the the highlight at the bottom just gives it a whole different vibe. What was your first instrument that you picked up? Ukulele. Really? It's three years old. And um, 
my dad had a ukulele and a Mel Bay ukulele book. And funny enough, I can still remember it. Um, and I, I could read, but I left and right were not my strong suit at that time. So I was mm. three. And so part of why I play left-handed and this, you think like you correct this as an adult, but I didn't. And I could tell you why, if you wanted to know, but, um, I, you know, the book is pointing at you. And so as a kid, I just put the neck where his neck was like in a mirror yeah, and started figuring the stuff out. And I just did this on my own, which is why my parents went, we might want to give this kid some <laughs> lessons in something. And so they put me in piano lessons. So when I say I've literally been playing all my life, I've mm -hmm. literally been playing all my life. Um, and that's why. Um, so the first thing I played was not a piano. It was a ukulele. And then my parents, my, my dad played and my mom played some. So they got, uh, you know, a console piano, yeah. a, Kimball, a Kimball console piano. Okay. And uh, well, there was another thing that happened too. Um, we had some friends who lived in Danville, Kentucky, at or college friends of my, my, I think both my parents, but my dad especially. Mm -hmm. And we went to their place and I can remember that too. And I was, was I've, I'm, I'm gonna say I'm four. Um, and they, he had, um, a really large organ, I mean, you know, how things like Lowry organs were really big at the time, but this was, I don't, I think it was a Lowry organ cause I know what the buttons and stuff look like, but this was a larger organ than anything I'd seen. And it had a full foot pedal all the way from end to end, big, wow. massive keyboards. And some of it probably seems bigger because I was three or four or whatever yeah. age I was. So it was like this huge instrument. Um, and I, and I remember just sitting there playing it and everybody left me alone. But what I didn't know until years later was that my, everybody was in the other room listening to me play going, he's picking stuff out. He's doing this. And I don't remember that. I just remember like, this is cool. And what happens yeah. if I push this button and what happens if I do this? Um, so, you know, I, and I think that's one of the reasons that I'm also a little surprised at being a director because I think music came so easily to me that I was a terrible teacher of it um, because there's always been a level of knowledge that I presume that someone has. It's like, you know, well, that's a, you know, that's a plus nine chord. It's like, what's that? Like, well, you just add the two. Why is it not a plus two? It's like, well, it can be, but the intervals, you know, it's like, and then you start going into all that. It's like, well, the interval is different. If you yeah, it's like, okay, it just, it, it just is. Um, and, um, but I think with, so I thought I was a terrible teacher, mm -hmm. but I think what it is, is that when I've, why I am better with doing other things, including with teaching acting is because I didn't see myself as that. So in some ways I came up through the same painful procedure that a lot of the people, a lot of other people did as well. And so even though I was on the other side of the glass, um, you know, there's never been any imposter syndrome with me with music. Um, it just always was such a part of me from so long. It's like, well, of course I can play that. Yeah. Um, if anything, it was the opposite, whatever the opposite of that is. Is there such a thing as the narcissist syndrome? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and, but, but not with, but not with, you know, I mean, there's still days that I'm in a session. It's like, what the hell am I doing here? You know, that, that whole idea that, that a lot of other people have, no matter how good they are, like you, you know, that you're going to be found out, you yeah. know? And, um, and so I think it gives me an empathy that I don't necessarily possess in music. Um, 
I know it's a long-winded way. What was your first question? <laughs> what was your first instrument? But <laughs> somehow I got to there. You know, sometimes you you have to go down to go down the road just to get across the street, and that's okay. That's what. That's why we're here, man. It was the a people- damn ukulele, man, and I got a <laughs> ukulele in Mexico, and I still pick it up and play it. Speaking of Mexico, uh, you decided to say bye bye to our great country, and you uh, left. I did. How's Mexico? Well, I, I, I am splitting my time now. I mean, I'm in Los Angeles now. This yeah. is my place. It's not like, you know, I'm shacking. I'm on a friend's couch or anything. <laughs> I uh, got you. Yeah. You know, Mexico is lovely. It's, um, I, you know, what I would say, well, there are two things I'd say about it. One, well, <laughs> all kinds of things I can say. First of all, living by the Caribbean I, that's, that's not something you're supposed to be able to do, you know, right. You know, that's, that's for people who haven't been to the Caribbean and they're like, they look at the Atlantic, they look at Pacific, they look at the Gulf, you know, whatever. It's like, it is not the same. It is just, it is a totally different body of water. Um, it's gorgeous in a way that nothing else is, you know, I haven't been everywhere. Um, so maybe the South Pacific, you know, but I haven't been there. Um, most gorgeous body of water I've ever seen, uh, warm all the time, um, clear, totally clear because of the way the sediment settles. So it's, you know, you get spoiled. Oh, look, there are a couple of waves. I'm not going to go in today. I I won't be able to see anything. I'm just going to hang out on the beach, you know? Um, but I think probably more than anything else, the experience of living in another country has changed me in a way that no matter what I do in the future, whether I come back to the United States full time, whether I go to another country, um, I I have a feeling I'm probably going to be splitting my time for the rest of my life. Don't know that for a fact, but we'll, you know, we'll see. Um, It just changes how I look at the world. It changes how I look at the United States. It does make me, you know, like, doesn't make me like hate the United States or anything yeah. like that. I, but I feel like I see it far more for what it, both what it, the good things that it is and also for the problems that it has. And, um, it, it just, it's just a different worldview. Um, there are a lot of fascinating things about Mexico that they do really, really well that the United States does not do well and vice versa. Sure. Um, and, I think that's no matter what happens, that's probably the thing I'm going to be the most thankful for is just, it's like a veil has been lifted on all kinds of things. I guess. Um, and it's, it just, it, when I'm here, it makes me appreciate the things that work really well in a different way. Um, and it, interestingly enough, the things that don't work well, don't piss me off the way that they used to. Uh, so. Nice. I can, I, 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 I can understand that. Even though I'm still here in the U.S., the the transition from being in the South mm-hmm. and now being in in on on the West, uh, there are some things that make me appreciate the South when I was there, and then there's some things that I can appreciate more here. Mm-hmm. Uh, for one, I don't think I'll ever get tired of it. There are days where I wake up. 
and I look out the window and I see mountains mm-hmm. in every direction. Yeah. And it's just the most beautiful thing. I don't care if it's a hazy day, if it's a clear day, mm-hmm. if there's snow caps on the mountains, that will never get old for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I can appreciate that. But then when I go back south, uh, and you wake up and it's 75, maybe it'll get to 85 that day and mm-hmm. you get you a nice plate of <laughs> some Southern cooking. you like, I don't have this in Vegas, man. So I am no, going, going to enjoy it. Like when I went to Via Atlanta back in March and we went to a couple of Southern places, I'm like, oh, they don't do it like that in Vegas. They have some no, pretty good places, but nothing beats Southern cooking. Um, so yeah, I, I get that, but make sure you stay in Mexico long enough that I can, uh, plan my visit. Cause, um, I am coming to see you, sir. Uh, Excellent. Yes. So in closing, um, I want to say that how we met, I remember getting a, an email from you mm-hmm. and you said, I don't know who told me to, to reach out to you. But I'm reaching out to you. And then mm-hmm. we instantly connected and, and we chatted and and then we met in person a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. And then we had dinner at this fella's house and we're mm-hmm. enjoying dinner with him. And we're like, so how do we meet? Mm-hmm. And no one knows. And then he does the big reveal. It's like, yeah, yeah, I told him to give you a call. That's a that damn person good. That is an amazing imitation. That is awesome. I, <laughs> I do. I, is, is, I love Dave Fenoy to death. And Holy uh, he, crap, do, do that again. <laughs> he, he's one of the people I love to imitate. Um, I don't do it a lot because I because I, I, I remember um, I was talking to another friend of mine and anytime I talk about him, it I slip into his voice and she was like, that's scary good. That is scary good. Like, have that you done was... it for him? I'm like, no, because I don't want to offend. Because, you know, I, I remember talking to a guy. He was like, look, there's going to be a time where you have certain people that just have this legacy voice. He's like, yeah. try not to imitate them while they're still here. Some people yeah. dig it. Some people like, eh, don't do that. So I don't know where he sits on that scale. But, yeah, every now and then. And I just heard him because I just finished um, Spider-Man 2. Mm-hmm. And he's in the game. And then I just saw a documentary that he and Deborah Wilson were in. Talk about mm-hmm. talented people. Oh, yeah. And right off the bat, I was in the kitchen making dinner and I heard his voice. And I'm like, is that you, Dave? I didn't even have to wait for the credits. I just n- knew who it was. Yeah, but yeah, right. You know, Dave Fenoy uh, brought us together. Yep. And um, you, you talk about acting it and performance it it made me think about when you're in a session and you're watching this person kind of leave and become that mm-hmm. character mm-hmm. um what's that feeling like when like you said there there are certain days you don't have to do anything you just let them do what they do. Like t- yeah. to be witness to certain people perform mm-hmm. and you leave the, the session like 
So how the session? I didn't have to do nothing. I just yeah. I, I watched Picasso paint today. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I, I boy, I don't even know how to answer that other than that's if there's ever a place where you sometimes get imposter syndrome, it's that. But the thing is, is that but you also have to know well enough to know. No, part of my job, honestly, is not to get in the way of somebody who's doing something brilliant. You know, you you don't want to go up to Picasso or you know whoever your artist is and say, "Can you make that a little straighter?" <laughs> you know. But you know, she she does that. I uh, I took a I took two classes, two five hour intensives with her, mm-hmm. and the way her mind works is not like okay, your character is uh an evil angel. No, she will give this character a oh, backstory. Yeah. Absolutely, you know, he was born from the pits of hell and tried to ascend to be the best evil angel, but then this happened and this happened. And now how do you feel about being, you know, left alone and, and doubted? And so, and she's giving you all this fuel. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then all she does is she just takes the match and drops it. And then boom. Right. That is the, that's, that's Deborah Wilson. Uh, Well, and, and so when you do that as an actor, and mm-hmm. See, this is the thing that that I talk to people about a lot, and and she's and she's brilliant at that because you can stop her at any moment, and and it's like she's got all the stories for everything that's going on, not because she's coming up to each line and going like, oh, and when I get to this line, I have to do this. It's because she knows the character, yes, and because so, and she's spent the time to develop the character and to have all this in her head, so that when you're when that character is faced with a situation you kind of know how they're going to react. And it's not like you know exactly how they're going to say it. That's not true mm-hmm. because there are all kinds of things that could 
give you nuances, but you know, but this character is not going to lose it in the same way that somebody else might because of all these other things about them. Or this character is going to absolutely blow that person off because of how they feel that they are so much smarter than, than everybody else, uh, even though that's not necessarily the intention behind the line. That's her sub-intention. It's almost like a yeah. hidden intention. You know, and she just has all that. And that comes from ha- taking the time to work. So, you know, when I was talking about working all the time with casting, at the actors that I see who really, really do well um, consistently, especially in gaming, are the ones who are always creating characters. They're doing it at the grocery store. They're doing it at the gas station. They're doing it walking down the street. You don't know it. Yeah. They're just absorbing and they're putting it all in and they're, and they and they're naming their characters and they're saying, I think with somebody, how would that one character, how would, how would my character Troy deal with that? He probably, mm-hmm. he might actually get out of his car and go whoop someone, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to get out of my car and do that, but I, I can see what Troy would do. You know, all it's all of that. <clears throat> and so when they get in that situation and they're handed the script as happens in games, Here's 700 lines of script, 500 and well, 650 of which you've never seen. You know, uh, they know what to do. Yeah, they've got that. They've got that. They've got the character. It's easier said than done. Well, amen to that. So, to those who will be watching this and they want to get into video games, and I'm sure you're asked as often. Uh, so how do I get into video games? What what would be the one thing that you would say to them? Look, if you want to do this, you need to do what? Take, take acting lessons. If you haven't, do. If you haven't for a while, do it again. Uh, it is an acting gig. It is not a voice gig. Yes, of course, you're using your voice. <clears throat> but it's an acting gig. There is no longer the voice print or the small sets of voice prints. Um, every voice, high, squeaky, big, gruff, mumbly, accents, whatever. It's all fair game now. And so it's, can you act? Mm-hmm. And, and what's the depth of your acting? Um, if I were to do a, to do a, a subtext to that, it's, I would also consider taking singing and improv. In fact, that's what I tell people. And singing is where, that's what I was telling you too. Um, mic technique, you know, you learn that as a singer and you go into a booth and it, you don't have to learn some of the things that other people do. Uh, yeah. You should learn those things, but I can work with your mic technique to some degree, but I can't teach you to act on the spot. Um, Acting, singing is also going to help you with breath control, with stamina. Uh, I know plenty of people who are really good actors and they get into efforts and they just completely pass out. Uh, They roach their throat. Uh, And look, a lot of that stuff is hard. Um, But you know what? Most people who are singers, especially they did a lot of singing, they don't have that issue. They know how to protect themselves Mm -hmm. Um, and they know when to stop. you know, so that's one of the things singing, but singing, God, it gives you so much. It really does. Yeah. Just gives you so much stuff to work with. I would say that even more than improv, probably. 
Hmm. Uh, so probably acting acting is so far above the other two that you know you have to have that you even if you are coming from a musical background like we talked about people who are coming from musical get into it yeah you still have to, you still need to take acting it will shortcut so many things it will teach you so many things it will just make you look at the whole craft differently because it is not about the sound of your voice it really is not that is such a misconception there's an old way of thinking it just literally is not accurate anymore it is what you do with that voice whatever voice you have and yes that can mean shifting that can mean changing your register that can mean changing your you know your your placement in your mouth so that you, you understand what it means when you when you go off the roof of your mouth and you understand what it means when you go low in your jaw and how that changes things mm -hmm. um but that's the granular you know the the macro is acting well said now in closing uh as i ask all of my guests you know the name of this show is take time out uh with trey mosley but now we flip it on you how mm -hmm. does rand ryan take time out for himself i mean you mm -hmm. already live in paradise so what else is there well you know paradise is a uh uh, eye of the beholder, because you know when the power goes out, which happens a lot more in Mexico than it does in the United States, <laughs> it doesn't feel quite so much like paradise. You oh know? wow! Um, even though it's warm and you're not going to die, so it's all fine. Um, well, um, I really true, and I travel a lot for work, but I really truly love traveling. And traveling doesn't necessarily mean getting on an airplane and going somewhere. It can be getting in a car and going somewhere. It can be taking a hike and going somewhere. It's, it's getting out. Um, I spend an awful lot of time in front of screens and doing things that take me away from them uh, is it's vital. It's healthy. It's like you have to. Mm -hmm. um, I probably don't as much as I as I should, but I but I like if I if I go somewhere, um, I just went to Cologne, Germany for Gamescom this year. First time I've been there. Nice. And I probably spent four days like not staring at a screen. You know, just I'm not going to do that. I'm here. Uh, I'll probably be back next year, but what if I'm not? You know, here I am. Let's go see this. You know, let's let's go. Yeah, you know what? I want to go to the zoo because it's here. It's three miles away. I can walk that, you know, it's because it's not because I, I mean, sure it's great exercise, but it's because there's so much to see along the way that you yeah. aren't going to get to see otherwise. And if I get in the subway and go, now I can see it. So go walk it. If you want to stop because you get tired, you can stop, have something to drink, have something to eat, get up, walk some more, whatever. Take the subway on the way back if you want to, but go walk it once. Um, Go to the ruins in Mexico. Go see the cenotes in Mexico. Um, you know, get out. Go do stuff. Um, I do like sports. Um, I really miss playing sports. That's something I don't get the opportunity to do the way that I used to. Um, but I still do like, you know, going to baseball games, going to football games. Um, I'll go watch a little league game. That's <laughs> you know, it's still sports. You yeah. Know? Um, find someone that you want to root for. Like, I don't know. I think the, I think the red team, 
<laughs> you don't really be on them. And you just, um, I, those are some of the primary things. And again, music, you know, that's still, again, is lifeblood for me. Um, I'll just stop and play. I'll write. I'm working on a Christmas song right now. Uh, that, that makes two of us. That probably is not not the safest Christmas tune, but it's <laughs> okay. But uh, but nonetheless, it is one of the season. I can't even tell you the name because it's not. It's I'm working on it with somebody else. Gotcha. And it's the title is theirs. For all I know, it won't stay this title, but. If it comes out, you'll know. <laughs> oh boy, I'm I'm even afraid to even ask what that is. I will take your word for it, sir. Excellent. Well, Randy, you uh, you're a good dude, man, and I really appreciate you hopping on today. Um, you know, this was fun. I think, you know, I, I talk to a lot of voice actors, and they always, you know, tell their story. But we rarely hear from folks on the other side of the glass. And um, I really, really do appreciate you taking time out uh, to talk with the fine folks. Um, speaking of the fine folks, if they want to follow you on the socials and, and reach out to you, mm-hmm. how did they do that? Well, uh, of course, there are websites, you know, hamsterballstudios.com and then thevoicedirector.world. Yes, it is .world. Long story. Thevoicedirector.world. Um, those the second one is a place where you can get some information on, you know, I mean, I, we, I do teach, but also we have other information on there. If you want to learn a little bit more about acting, um, socials, um, uh, kind of everything's in my name. So Facebook, I think it's Randall Ryan, uh, LinkedIn is Randall Ryan, Twitter. I think my handle on there is R2 dude, but if you put in Randall Ryan, you'll probably find it. Uh, Instagram is both the voice director, uh, it's the voice director. That's probably the best one. There's another one that I sort of use, but not really. <laughs> um, are there any other socials? Well, I, did, I don't think there are any other I use. I don't, I don't really do TikTok and, uh, threads seems to be, a a, a funny little idea. <laughs> ha, yeah, that's so I, cute. I haven't, I haven't done the threads thing and I don't think I'm going to. Yeah, so. I think that makes you and almost everybody else. So there yes. you go. There you go. Folks, this is Randy Ryan. I am your host, Trey Mosley. Thank you guys for watching, and we will see you next time. Thanks for taking time out. Thanks for listening to the Take Time Out with Trey Mosley podcast, part of the Titan Media Network. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcast. To see the video version of this, you can find us on YouTube or the Take Time Out with Trey Mosley YouTube page. Thanks for listening, or thanks for watching. Either way, we'll see you next time.